Hi everyone and welcome back to Absolute Clarity Season 4, the number one travel management podcast brought to you by Clarity, your business travel experts. As always, I'm your host Kyle Daniels, joined by Pat McDonough, Clarity CEO. Hi Kyle. How you doing Pat? Very good, thanks, yeah. It's an exciting episode today Pat, because uh, we're not speaking to suppliers today, we've had that. We know all about suppliers, who's coming back, what you need to do to stay safe and all the rest of it. Today we've got an extra special guest, new to the show. Dr. Lucy Rattree. Welcome to the show, Lucy. Thank you very much. Delighted and excited to be here. Do I have to call you doctor before I call you Lucy? Is it like that Sir, <laughs> no. Sir Ian McKellen? <laughs> yes, you, you, can call, you can call me Lady. Thanks. Lady. <laughs> yeah. Lady Lucy. Uh, yeah. uh, Lucy is perfect. Just Lucy. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, for giving us up your time. You were really kind of important to come on the show from your history, and we'll get into that in just a second. But we've talked about the suppliers and what they're doing to keep passengers safe. But I thought we'd get yourself on to talk about what passengers can do to keep themselves safe, both obviously mentally and physically. So rather than me trying to butcher my way through an introduction, do you want to tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course. Delighted to. So I'm, um, I guess you could say, a blend I am a practicing psychologist and I'm also an academic researcher and work work between the sort of evidence research side and then the uh, practitioner side, all within the space of, I guess, people who travel for work and who work internationally. And fairly well known within the travel management space as well. You, You take a real keen interest in business travel. Yeah, yeah, I do. I'm a, a co founder of the business travel wellbeing community and most, if not all, of my research has been predominantly focused on people who who travel for work and business travel, and I work as well um, with with sort of companies uh, with within that space to really get to grips with how to best support travelers and help travelers um, manage their well being and how companies can best support people to stay well on the road and enjoy the experience of being a business traveler. And we first met. I don't know if you remember, but it was at the business travel show. A few years back I think it was on the second day and you came up and you're in I think full workout gear <laughs> yeah, it was in I the remember, afternoon I remember, remember? that yeah <laughs> and it was the most odd thing because obviously you used to see people at business travel so in like suited and booted uh, obviously business dress and all this and I turned around and you were there <laughs> and I think you'd come you'd had a, a massive kind of travel situation didn't you so I think you'd got up really early to come down and what was that whole process like? Yes, I remember that. Gosh, yeah, uh, that had been, um, it was a few years ago. Because of where I live in Scotland, if I'm to catch the first flight down, I have to get up at about 3.30. And I think I'd been on the this, this 6 a.m. flight down to London to catch the, the full day at the, at the show. And uh, a couple of things had happened on the flight, uh, or on the journey, I should say. One was that um, I'd got up at 3.30, so let's face it, I was pretty tired. And then by the time I got to the hotel and got along to the show, I was just feeling a little bit out of sorts. It was probably just just a bit too much. And I am um, just so into my, my own health and wellness that I thought, right, 
I'm going to have to make the most of my time here. And I'm too tired to sort of be wearing a pair of high heels and a suit. And that'll make me uncomfortable. And I need to go out for a good walk and get some fresh air. And then I'll pop along to the show. And I just thought, you know, I'm not going to go back to the hotel to change. So I'll just go out for a walk and um, enjoy the fresh air and turn up at the show just feeling refreshed and enjoy myself rather than worrying about putting on a pair of high heels. So yes, I remember that. And that had been my experience. It was all around managing my own wellness, shall we say, when I was tired after getting up at 3 30 well it's, it's you, a good tip isn't it lucy and I, yeah. I think actually it might be a bit of a theme next year that lockdown chic uh, I know. <laughs> that, uh that we're all currently uh, uh rocking at the moment maybe that'll be the uh the the dress of the day next year <laughs> dressing gowns and shorts <laughs> Le- lockdown legging, sweatpants <laughs> leggings and yoga tops yeah no makeup <laughs> but i always remember that because it really opened my eyes um especially from work it was my first kind of I mean this is my first role within business travel and it was somebody actually taking care of themselves when traveling and and we speak about it a lot now about the whole don't book a business meeting at nine o'clock in London on a Monday morning you know I saying give you staff time to get there don't have them rushing around things like that I think you were the first person I spoke to that was kind of like no I'm going to take care of myself I'll get myself in the right frame of mind before I go and approach something like this yeah, definitely. And and I'm sort of really, really partic- particular about that because um, I remember, for example, at, at the BTS show a couple of years ago, I, I flew down obviously early on the first day and, and on the second day was when I was doing my sessions. And I thought, OK, that, that second day is when I need to be sort of clear headed, rested, maybe dressed in more professional clothes. But the first day is really just about me sort of doing a bit of network. And yes, you're right, definitely looking after myself. And and that first day was about just getting into the swing of the trip and experiencing the show. So I was properly switched on for the second day. So to me, looking after myself at the right time is is really important, whether that's um, in workout gear, outside, inside, in a pair of high heels, looking after myself and managing my own, my own energy levels is, is is critical now that's interesting lucy because anybody who's been to the hosted buyers events on the first evening will tell you that being sharp and ready on the second morning is a rarity so, <laughs> as if i'm switched it round <laughs> so you just completely flip that on, on its head yeah yeah it's about me it's about i think it's about doing what works for you and then being ready to perform when you have to perform and then the rest of the time um being a bit more relaxed definitely because of course at the end of the day if uh, you're investing in that travel so for you running your own your own business uh you know paying out your own pocket or a business is paying for you to travel somewhere you are ultimately going there to do something and you need to be match fit and match ready don't you yeah definitely definitely and equally you, you can't be match fit match ready for say two or three consecutive days without taking without sort of letting that drop a little bit it's that whole rest and recovery phase that that any athlete would engage in if an, if somebody travels for a football match they they're not expected to be ready to stand on the pitch to go for those whole three days they sort of have some downtime before that to pick up ready for the game so it's exactly the same sort of philosophy i think it was interesting actually at the start of football coming back i think there was a game up at man city i think arsenal traveled up to man city on the same day with no rest time particularly before the game they got pretty well beaten from what i seem to remember and um and gary neville one of the pundits on sky sports actually said you wouldn't do that 
under normal circumstances, you would travel down in good time or possibly even the night before, have a leisurely morning and afternoon leading up to a game in the evening so that everybody's ready, there's no travel concern, there's nothing like that. You're certainly not getting straight off a coach or a or a plane and, and going straight into the stadium and playing. It, it doesn't tend to work that way in elite performance. No, not, not at all. And if you think about it, business travellers quite often are expected to perform like an elite athlete in terms of they have to be travel, be switched on, then travel home. That's sort of the same type of pattern. So yeah, definitely under, norm, under normal circumstances, building in that sort of ability to rest and recover and prepare is really important. And I, I did that at the BTS this year as well, actually. And I can't believe now that was, what, five months ago, because um, that, that was the last time I was really around a lot of people. Um, mm. And at, at the BTS show, when I, I think I was down there this time for, for three days, and it, as usual, it was pretty, pretty busy. And I booked in yoga classes for, I think I booked in four yoga classes across two days, one in the morning, one in the evening, to sort of set me up for the day and then help me wind down at the end of the day. And that was my sort of way of, of managing that time so that I wasn't then constantly on the go from, say, 6 a.m. until 10 p.m. at night or, or however long it is with all, with all the socializing around the actual event as well. So, yeah, having those, those sort of ways, those little things at work, I think are so important that you can then build into your day. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, the business travel show obviously was actually, and we said this on many of the episodes so far in this series, that was the point at which we were beginning to realize that the pandemic was, uh, it wasn't at the time the pan- a pandemic, but the COVID-19 situation was worsening. It was likely to have some kind of impact. I don't think any of us expected it to have the kind of impact it has had. Um, but the world went mad at that point, didn't it? And uh, and and we went into lockdown. A lot of things changed for people. So um, I guess from your perspective, how do you think that's impacted your typical business traveller who, who's potentially been now locked away for several months? Yeah, I think it's been, uh, yeah, I, I think it's been particularly challenging for, for people who are used to traveling for work. And there's obviously two sides to it. And and I can relate to this as well, because I, you know, I travel a lot, we all travel a lot as well. And I think for a lot of people, there's been a huge um, loss of identity. And loss of, I guess you could say soul and spirit, because for people who travel a lot, it is it is part of your identity, they you're traveling to different locations, you're seeing people that you like and enjoy spending time with who don't live locally to you you're for people who are international travelers off exploring the world and suddenly that ability to sort of feed your soul with excitement and adventure and and change of routine and structure has gone and that to people it it is part of your identity it's like when, when you're at a party and somebody says what what do you do for work and you tell them and that's part of your identity Business travel is also part of someone's identity. So I think that's been something that must be really challenging for, for a lot of people. Um, and then I think as well, the, the challenge of going from where life is maybe quite hectic, and that, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there's an excitement that comes from going to different places all the time or going away from home to suddenly being in Groundhog Day is is quite 
definitely takes quite a lot of adjustment. And I've certainly found, found that because, I mean, last year I was away probably, I, I mean, at, at least one, at least once a month somewhere and a, a lot of overseas trips. And that's probably similar to, to a lot of pe- the people that listen to this show. And to go from that to suddenly being at home every single day for five months, you know, spending a lot of time on your own, it, it's the loss of that adventure and excitement and identity and then as well it's also the loss of the sort of social network and if we think back to the bts going to the bts you know these are people we know in the industry they're also friends they're also people that we we connect with they're people that we have a have a laugh with and all of a sudden for people who are away traveling all the time that social circle has kind of shrunk and become slightly different so i think they're you know, some of the biggest challenges that people might have been facing over the, over recent months. Do you think there'll be aspects, obviously, that people don't miss? You know, the, there are obviously benefits to not traveling too, aren't there? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. So I think my waistline has thanked me. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think my, my shoulders have thanked me for not carrying a bag as well. So there's definitely benefits, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I've slept a bit more as well, so and read a bit more books. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely benefits. I think for people with families, certainly they've it's given them a chance to reconnect with their families. And, and I think if people have got kids, obviously it, it gives them more of a chance to be at home with their kids for the day to day stuff. If people are, are away quite often, which, which has been quite, I think a lot of people have found quite helpful and quite nice. And I think some of the other benefits is it has made life a little bit simple and there's a bit of beauty in the simplicity and I think a lot of people have been have sort of cherished that possibly cherished it knowing that that will go again at some point so let's make the most of it right now and I think people have really been getting a lot more into their um, communities and getting to know their neighbors getting to know who lives around them just by default because because they're physically there um, and yeah and I think the sort of the, the is sort of a bit of a double-edged sword because I think a lot of people's healthy habits and healthy living and routines and structures have become a lot better and improved a lot with lockdown. Yet at the same time, uh, probably a lot of challenge has been experienced because maintaining a sort of good routine and a good structure and being healthy has also been quite difficult. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have been drinking a lot more wine possibly at home than they normally would so there's been pros and cons there too I think yeah and believe me with um, young kids in the house and things like that the urge to travel is there sometimes Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) you you really do want to get away from that from time to time I guess as well we all started didn't we with the best of intentions so uh, Joe Wicks at nine o'clock for PE was uh, was the big thing wasn't it it's amazing how those things go out the window after a period of time isn't it yeah yeah a period of time being a couple of days (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. all sorts of new interesting habits form (laughs) yeah definitely now one of the things that people talk about a lot we uh we hear it every time uh you know we're asked about it it's kind of this new thing that's going to replace business travel is video conferencing and um and certainly as a business we've made a, a hell of a lot of use of it here it's been there before the pandemic and it will be there after. But in video conferencing, what do you think people fail to achieve that they would 
normally achieve in a face-to-face meeting? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. I think what people maybe struggle to struggle with in the using video conferencing is the ability to read people's body language and judge a situation based upon all those little subtle cues. So, for example, if we think about stress or say the, the, the development of, of stress out of a particular situation. So stress is actually somebody's perceptions of various triggers that come from another person or from an environment combined with their own belief in their ability to, to respond appropriately and manage those triggers. And when we're face to face, we're subconsciously constantly scanning with our eyes and our minds to pick up on these little little nuances and little triggers. And then our brains sort of run through that really, really, really quickly. And we can then either respond or react. So respond in a very calm way or react in a bit more of a a pressured, stressed way. Mm -hmm. And when we're on video conferencing all the time, our ability to pick up on those cues becomes a lot more limited because for one thing, we might have um, 10 people, 10 faces on a, on a screen at once, and you're constantly scanning each one. But equally, you, you can maybe only see somebody's chin or their forehead or the bookshelf behind their head. or So it's a sort of different kind of scenario. And I think the brain has to really adjust to that. And that can place people at, at risk using if they're using video conferencing, I think, as the only method. because. Because in that situation, they're relying purely on their own assumptions, their own objectivity and their own perceptions, which Mm -hmm. aren't necessarily always accurate and true. And then I think if we and if if you were face to face with somebody, you would probably have a bit of a laugh, have a bit of chat. And all those little triggers and little cues would probably blend into one for a bit more of a realistic perception of the situation, which would then create a, a more probably a more calm response hmm. and I think part of the danger with without with a lack of face-to-face communication and too much video conferencing is naturally as a human you'll start to respond to what you're seeing based too much upon assumptions and your own perceptions which are quite often clouded not because there's anything wrong with the way that, that, that people are, but because we're humans, we, we simply don't have enough stimuli and enough information. So we're filling the gaps with what we think is going on. And that can then cause a bit of a, a domino effect. So these are very, very, very subtle psychological processes, but they do have an influence. And I think if people are aware of it, then they can stop making assumptions about how did I come across? What did that person mean? It's a bit like an email. We, we've all had emails or text messages where we read it and we've thought, oh, well, that wasn't very nice, or oh, yeah. that was a bit rude, or that was a bit abrupt. And actually, the person sending it didn't mean it like that at all. The person sending it just wrote one line because they were running out the door and there was nothing yeah. else behind it. We're adding our own context, aren't we, to the... Totally. Well, we are, yeah. 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 The, an email has no tone of voice, does it? And, and we often talk about that uh, within our business where these enormous email chains developed and so many people are copied in and things like that. And we say, just pick up the phone, pick yeah. <laughs> up the phone, talk it through, um, work it out between the two of you and and then tell everybody else if you need to. Um, but 
you create this spiral of negativity sometimes, don't you, where, you know, something escalates and nobody meant it to do so because that email has no tone of voice whatsoever. That is a great term, spiral of negativity. I love that because I'm always using the term spiral of positivity. Um, and it, and it's so true. One little negative thing activates another, which activates another. But equally, one little positive, if you've used one thing positively, then that activates something else positive and so on and so forth. Yeah. Now, if we think about that Zoom conference, I've kind of described it as a bit like football at the moment. Football's happening behind closed doors. And for whatever reason, it's likely that that game loses its edge because the crowd isn't there. There's there's that extra 5 or 10% that's hard to put your finger on why it happens and how it happens and so on just isn't there. There's something lacking. Do you think, you know, a Zoom call or a video conference is a bit like playing behind closed doors in some kind of shape or form? One of the beauties of it is that you can wear your shorts or your pyjama bottoms at the same time and nobody <laughs> will know. <laughs> so That's true. So, yeah. so that's great. <laughs> More comfort for everybody. I think it kind of depends who you're, who you're on the call with. I, I think if it's somebody you know quite well and you've already got a bit of a face-to-face relationship with them, then then I, then, I, then I don't think so because you're more authentic. But I think it, certainly for new relationships forming or where you don't know somebody very well and you don't have, say, that personal touch, then I think it, it could be a bit like hiding behind closed doors and it could be quite difficult to develop proper trust because you can't tell how authentic somebody's being. Yeah. So moving on from there, obviously we're now starting to gradually think about the return to traveling again and um, and actually interestingly throughout all of this uh, we have had uh, some people who've had to continue to travel because they're key workers or they're in industries that just have to keep moving so if we start with empaps and talk about the psychology for them and and how a business can look after those people who perhaps really have been on the the, the front line for the last few months traveling when others aren't in very diff- difficult circumstances. How how does a business help them and how do they help themselves? Mm, yeah, good, good question. I mean, there, there's so many things that, that can be done. I think for the company, being quite proactive in developing a culture of psychological safety is really, is, is really important. I mean, that's always been important, yet I think now as we progress forwards, um, it's going to be much, much more important. And psychological safety, just to recap what I mean by that, it's creating an environment amongst teams, amongst colleagues, amongst all the different levels of the organization, where people feel emotionally and mentally safe to be able to share their true self without fear of any negative consequence around, say, their self-image, their status, their career, how other people perceive them, or any or and no fear of being judged. So it's almost like a shared collective belief amongst everybody within a team that they can voice their concerns, they can voice their opinions, they can voice their fears, they can be authentic knowing that they'll still be accepted and they'll still be respected. So I think if a business has that, particularly for people who are traveling now or or thinking about returning to travel, it's going to lay a really, really good foundation for everybody to work from. Because we all know that, you know, 
if we there's always a lot of talk about risk and that really comes down to decision making and you know there's a lot of stress potentially for people and a lot of anxiety if there's that baseline level of psychological safety it's almost a bit like a net that can just catch everybody and support everybody and get on top of problems before they really, really become problems because they never really get to that point because things are aired and people are honest. So mm. if a company can create that, I think that's going to be really, really good. So that's the the, mm? it, the permission to say no, is it, or to, to say that you're concerned about this and not be perceived to be um, difficult or a problem? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's knowing that, yeah, if if somebody is has concerns about traveling, they can voice those concerns, knowing that they'll be actively listened to and responded to and supported. Mm-hmm. And I think as well, it, it's also about knowing that if those concerns come out, there's an understanding that that could be a concern for today, but in a month, that concern might not be there. So they don't want that to, there to be a stigma around it or any sort of perception on who that on that person's ability to cope with things because it might be very much this is how I'm feeling today or this is what's going on with say my family so I physically can't travel this week but in a month it might be totally different so it's also about creating that open dialogue of honesty and respect. If we think about how we create I guess a a travel program that somebody can have some confidence in that they they feel safe to to travel they feel comfortable discussing risks and so on then I, I guess business needs to do a lot of practical things to encourage that psychological safety yeah um i mean there's a number of ways that that can be built up some are very 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 subtle and quite behavioral and others are more tangible things that that can be put in place so some of the more subtle things are, as I've mentioned, creating that open dialogue of um, honesty and acceptance. Um, I think some of the other ways that are more subtle are about empowering people and giving them the responsibility to make their own decisions around travel. Um, so there's a lot of talk about policies and policies are great. I think provided that they empower people and give people the ability to make their own decisions for what's right for them in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, another sort of behavioral aspect is to get rid of negativity and encourage and foster more compassion and then being honorable with that compassion and with that positive respect. So I think they're the more behavioral ways of, of cultivating psychological safety. And then the more tangible things that, that can be done are to put in place the, the methods of support that people might need at different stages. and. A lot of the practical stuff around traveling that might cause fears or anxieties or concerns are are pretty well taken care of. I think for a lot of people, it's it's what's in their minds and it's their own perception. So helping people by giving them the tools to um, self-regulate and be self-aware and then be able to look after themselves, I think is going to be really critical with everything from um, how do you, to monitor, manage your, your own emotions and your thoughts and your behaviours um, right through to having the, I guess, the psychological skills to see things in a helpful way and having the, the psychological skills to recognise that there are different options here of doing things and building that confidence to confidence and capability in yourself to be able to take the steps to act out whichever option is best in a particular situation. 
Is it fair to say that a lot of people want to feel like they're in control, so they're in possession of the information they need before they travel? So I guess they've got some kind of idea of what they're going into. So that might be understanding what an airport environment's going to be like, what the plane's going to be like, how the hotel we're going to deliver service at the other end, and um, having the ability to make the choices around that. So they take ownership, if you like, of their own their own physical well-being as well as that mental well-being. Yeah, de- definitely, definitely. I mean, if, if pe- people sort of know what they're going into with travel, I think I think it'll help them because then they can make the decisions around how to look after themselves physically and mentally. It very much does come down down to the person and what we would call to be their their own locus of control. So that's a locus of control is the extent that somebody uh, perceives themselves to be in control of a situation. And the reality will be the same for five for five or ten for everybody. For say, so you've got five different people. The reality is the same for all of them. But what will be different is their perception on how to manage what they're faced with and what they see themselves to be in control of. So building the right level of locus of control, I think, I think is really important because that's when, say, somebody is faced with a situation of they want to look after themselves to keep their immune system strong when they're traveling. So they need to get enough sleep, they need to, to exercise, they need to recover when, when that's needed. They need a few things for that, obviously. They need to know what they need to do to look after themselves. Um, and then they also need to have the confidence to do it and the tools to, to do that, to, to practice that self-care. And the right perception of control by identifying what the options are and making those decisions. Yeah. So if we were to think about, uh, because I think we're we're uh, becoming short of time, if we were to think about three top tips that you would offer to a, a travel manager right now in terms of getting their people back moving again and getting them back moving safely, what would you say those three top tips are? Mm, okay, I think number one has to be cultivate psychological safety, definitely. Uh I think number two should be help travellers stay well when travelling, if if they are currently travelling, and help people use this time to prepare to travel again by getting that toolkit built up, by getting the self-awareness built up, by building up their ability to look after themselves and use this time as a preparation for um, building up that as a support mechanism. And then I think the third one has to be allow people to move at their own pace. So don't force or restrict people as everybody has their um, differences and different circumstances um, and encourage them to do what's right for them. So So the company is then basically giving them the psychological safety, giving them the tools that they need and then, then empowering them to make the decision to progress at a pace that's right for them. So what we'll do, we'll end the show the way that we have ended every show this season. What is the thing that you've learned about yourself during this pandemic? (laughs) We should just leave it as a laugh and then cut. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's a loaded question. Um, The thing I've learned most about myself, I love being at home and I love simple living, but I need adventure to feed my soul. That's a really good one. Amen to that one. <laughs> yeah. We've had loads of, I've learned I'm really patient. 
because <laughs> my kids are crazy. <laughs> so that was a really good one. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Lucy, and for giving us your time. We really appreciated that, and hopefully the listeners would have got something from that. Uh, if anyone wants to find out more about you, where can they go? Uh, they can go to my soon-to-be-launched new website, which will just be drlucyrattree.com. That's brilliant. And Pat, <laughs> clarity. Get Claritybt.com, yeah. Get on it. Absolutely. Right, so thanks, everyone, for, for giving us a listen. Thanks for Lucy and Pat for your time. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a like and a share, and we will see you next time on Absolute Clarity. Thank you. Oh,